Uh, we've, been, we've been working through the Ten Commandments, as you know, in our church. Uh, so last week was uh, don't commit adultery. And uh, before that, it was do not murder. And before that, it was honor your father and your mother. And this week, uh, Exodus chapter 20. It's on page 79 in your Bibles. It's real quick. Um, it's the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, I told someone I was preaching on the Eighth Commandment this week, stealing. And he said, oh, yeah, a lot of different directions you could go with that. Um, what do you think you're going to say? I said, oh, stealing. I, I'm against it. Uh, and uh, and the Bible, I think the Bible is too. Um, and in some ways, it would be nice if it was just that simple, that clear. Uh, but sometimes, it's not quite so clear. You know, if I, if I stopped doing my job um, and just started hanging out at home all day long, every day, playing Mario Kart 64 and drinking Mountain Dew and didn't come into work, didn't do anything, but still collected a paycheck, cashed it every month, you'd be like, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not right. You're, you're stealing. You're not doing the work, but you're still getting paid. That's, that's stealing. But what about this? What if, what if I went into work every day, but while I'm there, I checked my personal email? Am, am I stealing from my employer, checking my email on their time? Probably not. But what if I, what if I did it like every hour while I was at work? Every, every, every half hour? What if I did it like every three and a half minutes? What if I also like check my Twitter feed and, and also like manage my fantasy football league? Like, there's a line in there somewhere, isn't there? There's a line between right and wrong. Or like, if I stopped paying my income taxes every April, you'd be like, whoa, like don't do that. Like you're, you're stealing from the government, don't do that. But what if, what if I did like, odd jobs from here or there. You have to really use your imagination, but let's just imagine that I'm handy, uh, and occasionally, like, a neighbor has me over to, like, help fix something or repair something. I mean, maybe in the new heavens and new earth, but let, use your imagination, um, and, and I get paid, you know, 50 bucks here, 100 bucks there, just a little bit under the table, um, and I don't report that on my taxes. Am I stealing? What if I only did it once? Uh, what if I did it like every month? Every week? What if it's most of my income? There's a line in there somewhere, right? There's a line between right and wrong. Um, if you were here, I think it was about last April, I, I preached a, a sermon on stealing as part of our Ephesians series. So it comes up in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, stealing. And in preparation for that sermon, uh, I read two whole terms of service for, for Netflix and for Amazon Prime. And uh, Gary, I don't know how you do it all day, uh, trying to understand legalese. You know, I've, I've, read, I've read some fat books with impressive sounding titles. I've read the Bible in Greek and in Hebrew, and yet I think finishing the Netflix and the Amazon Prime Terms of Service is one of the more impressive achievements of my life. Um, 
That said, when I got to the end, um, it actually still wasn't clear to me. Um, I think, I think, at least as of a year ago, sharing a Netflix password might be okay. I think. I'm not a lawyer. I, I'm not like giving you advice, but I think it might be okay. But then Amazon Prime, it's definitely not okay to share the password if you're using it for the video service. Some of you are like, keep freeloading off my parents' Netflix account. Like, this is good. Everything's okay. But maybe I should ask, or maybe you'd prefer I didn't ask. Um, I mean, did you ever wonder if maybe sharing that password was wrong? Did you ever think about it? Like, did you do any research to find out? You know that just because you don't read the terms of service doesn't mean what you're doing is right. Um, I mean, can you imagine doing this in another setting? Like, I was imagining going to the Creston Market on the corner, grab a coffee and a donut. I'm just, like, walking out without paying. And Mike's like, what are you doing? Like, wh- where are you going? I was like, oh, sorry. I, I, uh, I didn't look for the price tag. I, you know, I, I kind of saw it there, but I didn't really read it. I just assumed it was free. What? You would never do that, right? See, most of us have like these moral lines that, that we won't cross, right? Like, so we wouldn't steal a donut from the Crescent Market, or maybe we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't skip paying our taxes in April. We have these moral lines that we won't cross. But it's my experience that if you stare at a line long enough, <laughs> uh, you can find some room for interpretation. Um, like if your mom tells your little brother, uh, like, I'm going to go work outside, uh, but don't go into the back room. Okay, I'm working on a special project that, back there. Don't go into the back room. Okay. What's the first thing your little brother's going to do when you leave to go work outside? He's going to go to the back room, right? And if he was like me, this is how he'd do it, right? So he'd walk right up to the door, he'd, he'd open the door, and he'd keep his feet outside the room, but he'd just kind of like lean in, right? And mom comes upstairs, she's like, what are you doing? Like, I thought I was really clear, don't go into the back room. And you'd be like, what? I wasn't in the back room, you know, you said don't go in the back room. I didn't go in the back room. I was only looking in the back room. I think a lot of us, morally, are kind of like the little brother. Right? Like we kind of dance around the line. We like maybe dangle across it sometimes. You know, Mom only said don't go back there. I didn't go back. Technically, I didn't break the rule. I think sometimes our our moral lines can get a little wobbly. Now, for some people, this is what religion is for, okay? So religion is for uh, finding the moral line and sticking to it, okay? Uh, That's what religion is about. So the Christian faith, it's about telling people what's wrong and then telling them not to do it. Or or it's about uh, showing them where the line is and making sure we all stay on the right side of that line. And I suppose sometimes lines are good. Um, sometimes we need to be told you know, what's right and what's wrong. 
But in the history of the church's understanding of like the Ten Commandments, the don't part, the, the line between right and wrong, that is only ever the starting point. Okay? So we talked about this last year for stealing. When, when, Paul, when the Apostle Paul talks about stealing in the book of Ephesians, he says, um, those who have been stealing should, does anybody remember? Steal no longer. Okay, that's a good place to start. Right? There's, your, there's your line. Don't steal, that's good. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, those who have been stealing should steal no longer, but should work. Doing something useful with their hands. All right, you see how we moved there. It was right here on the line, don't steal. We're worried about don't stealing. But we just took a step this way. Work. It's a whole different dynamic. All right, this is basically what, what the Heidelberg Catechism. So we've been following this teaching tool of the church to try to understand like, what are these Ten Commandments about. And the Catechism follows this same sort of line. And so it starts off with, yes, don't steal things. Please don't steal things. That's, that's wrong. And it lays out some more lines. It says, and also, like, don't cheat people. <laughs> um, don't come up with business schemes that look good but are actually bad. So it lays that out. Don't do that. It says, don't lie in advertising, which is kind of incredible because this was written like 450 years ago. Uh, but don't lie in advertising. Don't take excessive interest, it says. Right, so it's, it's laying out these lines, right? These are things, don't do that. But then it expands. It says, for instance, don't pointlessly squander your gifts. Isn't that an interesting one? Under do not steal? Don't pointlessly squander your gifts. And on the one hand, maybe that's talking about like playing the lotto or like going to the casino or something. You're just like throwing away your money. But I was thinking, like, what about, like, spiritual gifts, right? So, like, if you've been given the gift of creativity or the gift of prayer or the gift of hospitality, but you just squander it. You don't do anything with it. You don't share it with anybody. It says that's stealing, right? And I think the idea there is, like, we all, like, our gifts that God gives us, they're not just for us, right? We're supposed to use them to bless other people, to serve other people, when we keep them to ourselves, that's not just like a shame. It's like, oh, that's too bad. Catherine's like, no, no, that's stealing. Right? So you, you see what's happening here. You see how when you think about how a Christian should live their life, when you think about Christian ethics, you might start with the line, don't steal stuff. But it never ends with just don't do this. Right? You start moving over here. This is like a whole whole different life. So in Ephesians 4, when it's talking about this, uh, it talks about how when you become a Christian, there's like this old part of you. It calls it the old self. You put, that to, you put that away. You take it off, you put it away, and you put on like a whole new self, it says. New values, new priorities, a, a new way of engaging the world. And so when we become Christians, it's not just that we stop doing certain bad things. Right, the goal isn't the don't. The goal is to get over here. This is, this is maybe the Jesus zone. This is the be like Jesus zone. It's to get over here. And so Ephesians, when Paul is talking about stealing, he starts off by saying don't steal. Good start. And it says work. 
Okay, we're moving away. And does anybody remember, there's a reason given for why we should work. Does anybody remember what the reason is? So you, you work so that you might have something to give to those in need. Whew. You, you see how we're moving, right? So it started off just don't steal. And then we got over here with work. But we end up with generosity, right? Um, there's this, this movement that's happening. It's, it's an enormous shift. The catechism does the same thing. So the catechism says, don't steal, but work. But by the end of it, it says, still under do not steal, it says, you ought to treat other people like you would want them to treat you. Right? And it doesn't even stop there. It says, in fact, you should do anything you can do for your neighbor's good. Okay? So, we started with don't steal, but you see how quickly we got from worrying about crossing the line about stealing to all of a sudden, what, is, what can I do for my neighbor's good? Right? This is, this is with, when a Christian, when you become a Christian, right? this is the ethical shift that goes on in your life. You're not just worried about where the line is. Right? How can you become more like Christian, more like Christ? So if when you become a Christian... If the only thing that changes about you are the things that you're not doing, okay, so you're not, you're not cussing, you're not stealing, you're not getting drunk, I mean, that's fine, that's good stuff. But the Christian life isn't just about not doing bad things, right? It's not just about staying on this side of the line, it's, it's about filling up your life with good things. I mean, if the only thing that changes when you become a Christian is you start staying on just this side of the line, your gospel is just way too small. So for Paul, stop stealing. That's the beginning. But Paul is aiming for radical generosity. I've mentioned before that in, uh, in addiction recovery groups, uh, there's like this image that they often use. Um, they say, uh, feed the good tiger. Um, and the idea is we've got these two tigers living within us, right? We've got like the good and the bad tiger. And, and one of them, the bad one, is craving like the drugs and the sex and the, the drink or whatever. Um, and every time we feed that tiger, it gets stronger, right? Every time we take that drink or every time we, we, we do those drugs, right, that tiger gets stronger and it is more likely to win the next battle with the other tiger. Meanwhile, the other tiger, the good tiger, it's not getting fed. That's what's getting smaller and weaker. And what they point out is, you will never be successful in recovery if the only thing you do is just stop feeding the bad tiger. Right? So if, if you're an addict and the only thing you're going to do is you're just going to concentrate on not taking a drink, like your recovery will not go well. Okay? Um, they say, you've got to feed the good tiger. And so Paul, in Ephesians, he wants us to stop feeding the tiger of like self-justification that we use to defend like cutting corners or stealing or whatever. And instead, he wants us to feed our generosity. I've said this before. Um, if you have anxiety about money, I, I have anxiety about money. I think a lot of us have anxiety about money. If you have anxiety about money, Saving more of it probably is not going to help. 
getting a better paying job. Also, probably not going to help much. If you have anxiety about money, my advice is pray about it and give it away. If you don't give anything away right now, start with just like 1%, 2% of what you make. Get it up to, you know, some people say 10% is the magic number. 10% is not the magic number. 10% is just like a stop on the way. Just keep going. If you're more anxious, just keep giving more away. Okay. And I know that it sounds crazy, right? Because you're anxious about money. How could giving it away be helpful, right? But what's happening, right? You're feeding the good tiger. That one's getting stronger. And the bad one, the one that's making you anxious, the one that's making you worried, the one that's making you act out in weird ways about money, that one's getting weaker. It's getting smaller. You see how the goal is not to find the line and make sure you're just on the right side of it. Right? When it comes to Christian ethics, the goal is not to do like the least wrong possible. It's not about doing like the minimum necessary. It's this total shift. Right? So we're not straddling the line. We are way over here. And this is what the Christian faith is like. Because this is what God is like. Okay? I'm going to do, let's step back for a minute. This is the last thing. I just want to do like big picture here. Okay? Big picture Christian story. Before Jesus comes into the world, the world's a mess. Right? Um, people are trying to do all these different things to get right with God. It's not working. They're just digging themselves bigger and bigger holes. Okay? It's just a mess. We need, we need a rescue operation, okay? But what if, what if in God's rescue operation, what if he did the minimum necessary? Okay, so like, what if he like found the line just exactly as much as was needed to save us, and he just stayed just on this side of the line? Okay, so what if he like skipped the whole Old Testament thing? You don't really need that, right? So cut out the whole Israel thing, God's covenant people, cut all that out. And just go right to Jesus. Right? And while we're at it, I mean, the whole like getting born thing and growing up and the teaching and the healing, I mean, that's all, it's all kind of fluff, right? I mean, do we really need that? Like, what if instead, what if God just dropped Jesus off for a long weekend, you know, and he get himself crucified on Friday, uh, Sunday pops back up out of the grave, bada bing, bada boom, back up into heaven, like we're taken care of, right? I mean, I guess technically, maybe, possibly, that would be sufficient. But with God, the the question is never like, what is the minimum necessary? God's not up there asking like, what is the least I can do to help these people? With God, there, there was something extravagant about His rescue plan. Right? So, First, right, he dwells and he hangs out with these Israelites, which I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament, but these people were, they were impossible. And what we see again and again is just, God is so patient. He is so long. We see God's character worked out over centuries. And then when he did send his son, his son lived this full life. It wasn't just like a weekend, right? But he was born and he grew up and he knew what it was to, I mean... Growing up human, it's, it's full of all these pains and this confusion and there's weirdness about it. I mean, Jesus went through puberty, right? Um, I mean, there were so many 
difficult things about being a human. And what makes Christianity so unique is God didn't cut that stuff out. He just, he entered into it. Right? And he entered into it, and this is so unique among all religions. God would enter into all the messiness and, and blah of human life and just embody it. Carry it around so that we would not have a God who was distant and removed from us, a God who didn't really understand what we were going through, but we'd have a God who got it, who knew. Right? And even on his death, right? I mean, he could have just gone right up onto the cross, but he didn't, right? First, he was, he was rejected by his friends. Can anybody relate to that, right? He was rejected by his friends. He was falsely accused. Can anybody relate to that, right? He didn't cut corners. Again and again, we see in God's rescue operation that He is not motivated by doing the minimum necessary. There is something extravagant about the heart of God. You know, we are so rarely inspired by the person who does the minimum necessary. Right? I mean, nobody, nobody's ever made a movie to celebrate the life of the brilliant student who just like coasted through school, did the minimum of the work, and ended up with B's, right? Nobody's, nobody's told that story, right? No, the, the inspiration, the inspiration is going beyond the minimum. Right? The inspiration is in the extravagance. And so it is with the extravagance in God's heart. That's what inspires us. It wasn't that he technically got it done. It's that he went so far above and beyond. And it is that extravagance that inspires us, not just to hang real close to the line, make sure we're just on the right side of it, but it is that extravagance that makes us want to be in the Jesus zone, to be more like him in our whole lives. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you, you would forgive us for all the times that we are justifying behavior and actions that we know are wrong. Um, but boy, it was convenient or easy to, to ignore that. Um, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who, who stayed on the right side of the line. But so much more than that, Lord, we pray that you would create in us not just a heart that wouldn't steal, but, Lord, a heart that would be generous. Not just a heart that, that wouldn't be mean to people, but a heart that is motivated by love for others. Lord, we pray that more and more we, as your people, could look more like you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.